Welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome. My name is Dawson Church, and each week I get to be even luckier than I am the other six days of the week because this day of the week I get to do the High Energy Health Show. And I've been doing this for, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. I just love doing it because I get to share with you all of the exciting stuff that crosses through my life my desk, my inbox, and it has just got more and more and more exciting for the last 15 years. So I've been doing this show and interviewing all kinds of people in the worlds of holistic health and healing and science for all these years. And it is a privilege to get to not only read their work and delve into their worlds, but I get to share it with you. And you, by tuning in, are doing something remarkable for your own health and being. You are marinating your consciousness in positive messages, great ideas, and actionable things you can do to apply these things in your life. I know there's probably a better word than marinating, steeping culinary term, doesn't fit at all with, with holistic health, but you get the message that you just get to, to really immerse yourself. Oh, that's great, immersing, immersing, immersing yourself. Immerse yourself in these kinds of ideas. And by doing that, you are conditioning your consciousness. I know I had a conversation earlier this week with a, a thought leader in the transformational movement, and I was a little sad as I talked to her and heard her story. And she's been doing this for 25 years. She has been a remarkable change agent. She has worked with Whole Foods Market and all kinds of executive teams. And she is really depressed by the state of the world right now. And I thought if this glowing angel of a leader is just being dragged down by everything going on right now, what chance do the rest of us have? And there is so much reason to be drawn into all those problems right now. But guess what? A year from now, all these problems will be solved and there'll be new problems. And then it'll be a senior set of problems a year later and after that. And there always were problems. I could tell you about stuff that was a problem before you were born. So there are always issues. And the key to be a, being a resilient person is to immerse, got my word now, immerse your consciousness in the positive. Just orient to the positive every day, meditate, center yourself. In, in my book, Mind to Matter, I call this non-local mind, non-local consciousness, getting beyond the local stuff of your life, detaching yourself around that, meditating and moving at least for that hour of meditation into non-local and then being that space. Then when you come back again, when you're in your regular world, find ways of immersing yourself, immersing your consciousness, directing your attention toward those things that are positive, happy, joyful, and make you resourceful. Does that mean we are dissociating? Does that mean we're spiritual bypassing? Does that mean we're Pollyanna, not realizing the terrible things going on in the world? 
We're not. But us getting emotionally enmeshed with them and losing our peace of mind does not help any of those social problems, does not help any of those political problems, does not help any of those problems with democracy, with society, with inequality, with war. It doesn't help if we're all dragged down by it. We need to maintain that inner space because that's what makes you resilient. And by listening to this show is one of the ways you are doing that. So this is all just a big, long appreciation for you and for the fact that you have made this choice to direct your attention, to spend this hour with us. And I can tell you, you will be so inspired by the guest I'm about to introduce you to. And I want you to really have your device there to take notes, have a pen and paper. If you remember what those are, you may have forgotten what those are by now. Maybe typing on your phone or on your laptop, <laughs> or on your, your iPad. It's, make sure you're making notes because there's a there are a lot of great ideas that she'll be sharing with you, but there is a lot of practical action item as well. And those are what I like to focus on high energy health. As always, make sure you go to my website, go to blissbrain.com for a copy of my newest book, Blissbrain. Get those meditations. We're doing MRI studies now on those meditations. We're showing they literally change your brain function within a month. So get the free meditations at blissbrain.com. And then also there are other resources at mindtomatter.com about manifestation. You can get two places well worth going for other resources to direct your consciousness, shift your attention and bring you to those elevated states that are possible for you. So that said, my guest today is Javanka Ciaras. She is the author of Reclaiming Wellness and several other books. If you're here by video, you'll see me waving her book around. You'll see it by the Dawson Bookmark Test. It's bookmarked over here. It's dog-eared, something my grandmother told me never do, which I now disobey her and do all the time. Sorry, Grandma, wherever you are. <laughs> I found so much useful information. It's well-written. It's well-paced. It gives you the theory in the background and gives you action items. For more on her work, I'm going to spell out her website for you. So Jovanka is spelled J-O-V. Write this down. Are you writing it down? <laughs> Write it down. J-O-V-A-N-K-A, Jovanka, Ciaras, C-I-A-R-E-S. C-I-A-R-E-S dot com. So she's the author of Reclaiming Wellness and several other books. She's also a certified wellness expert, integrative herbalist, nutrition educator, and coach. And she lectures and workshops in Spanish and English. She studied nutrition and with best-selling author T. Colin Campbell, PhD. He is the author of The China Study and other books at his Center for Nutrition Studies. Also herbalism, plant medicine with Tiriana Lodog, MD, another leading light in the alternative medicine field. She's a native of Puerto Rico and lives in LA. And again, visit her online at her website, jovankaciaras.com. Jovanka, it's so thrilling and delightful to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I was listening to your intro and I was mesmerized. It's like, oh, this is so important. <laughs> it is important. And um, you in your book just share something that really had an impact on me when I read about your work, which is that a lot of the wellness practices we have nowadays were developed in indigenous cultures. And yet they're now being done by yuppies in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> And they're available to people with, you know, $10,000 a year of discretionary spending to spend on medical treatments and alternative things. And they aren't usually get accessible by the very cultures that originated them. And that I've never heard anybody express that so eloquently before. So thank you for bringing that out and then laying out this whole program for wellness that you've got in your book, Reclaiming Wellness. It's just so well done. And the practical exercises, the tables are so useful to the reader. So thank you for your journey and for making these points so eloquently. 
Thank you so much. It's been a labor of love. And like you, I also was a little shocked by the fact that these practices were not embraced by the multicultural communities that they stem from. And so I made it part of my mission to bring them back with an educational initiative called the Reclaiming Wellness Initiative. And eventually it led to the book that you, uh, that we're talking about today. Wow, that's a powerful insight. And so oh, I thought we, we would just perhaps chat about the book from start to finish at, at various points you make. And you begin with what you call your seven wellness concepts. Share with us more about those. When it comes to wellness, I always bring a holistic approach. Right? We're talking about body, mind, and soul with the understanding that every single human is a universe and your journey towards wellness is going to be very unique to you. But at the end of the day, we all want to touch each part of what it makes us human, right? Our bodies, our mind, and our soul. So I created these seven buckets of categories to group some of the very popular, the most popular wellness practices today to help people recognize not only this is part of your ancestry, it's important that you reclaim them as a way to honor your ancestors, but also as a way to reclaim them for your own benefit. So I group them. There's a handful of them. There's plants as for medicine. There's using plants for eating, there's going within. I talk about oil and heat. We talk about movement and yoga and other forms of movement, nature uh, and grounding, et cetera, et cetera. And all of these, of course, are, are self-help practices. Most of them are free. Most of them you can do without equipment or without much, much time or money or investment. And it's remarkable that before we had drugs and surgery and all the paraphernalia of Western medicine, this is how our ancestors healed. When they were sick, they went and went to their local herbalist, went to the local shaman, went to the local person who would bring them into an altered state through trance or dance. So these are ancient healing techniques. And it's just a, a, a real, it's really timeless to bring them back into our concept of wellness. Yeah, it's also time for us to recognize that we need to do something to not be as reactionary as we are in the Western world. Right? We only go to a doctor when we are really ill, when we're, when we're in severe pain. How about we start recognizing the cues that our bodies are giving us, find a way to reduce stress, find a way to be in a state of balance more days of the month than not, and hopefully only go to these practitioners when it's absolutely needed. But back in the day, people lived, they may have lived shorter lives than we did, but they were healthy and happy all the way up until the very end of their lives. And that's the goal. If we're going to live to be 80 and 90, the goal is to get there with a lot of energy, vitality, and health. And you talk about the blue zones in one part of the book. The blue zones are these areas of life, areas of the world where there are a large number of centenarians, people who are living to 100 years old or more. And one of the things, Javanka, that I've been so struck by in the studies of the blue zones is that we think in the Western world of aging is like slow decline, like you've watched people get older and older and sicker and sicker and more and more and more bent over and less and less, less mobile and their minds decay. And the whole process takes 10 or 20 years. And eventually they're on a ventilator in a nursing and then they die. <laughs> but in the blue zones, they're, they, they're, they're active usually to within about two weeks of death, maybe two yeah. days of death or chopping wood and carrying water. Again, most of these are very poor people. They, you know, I, I went to some of the blue zones, like the, the peninsula in Costa Rica, where there, there are so many people living a hundred or more. And they aren't, these aren't, aren't people, they aren't living long because they're riding Peloton bicycles. 
<laughs> they're living life. They're in community, which is an incredibly important part of the whole wellness concept. They they dance, they engage in sexual encounters with their partners. They're truly living a rich, very healthy, happy life. And at the end of the day, that's definitely my goal. I tr- certainly trust that is everybody else's goals as well. I'll tell you one funny story about this. I won't tell you who this person is, but I, a researcher I know, he went to, he did several studies in the blue zones and he's a, he, was, he had a best-selling book in the 70s and has been well-known for a long time, but he's in his 80s now. And he got back from one of the blue zones. He said, wow, I was really surprised to be propositioned by a 97-year-old woman. <laughs> If you feel great, then you're going to try to do what you can do. <laughs> yes, that, that's counter the you know the, the pattern we know. These people are cognitively there, they're physically active for their whole lives, and then they have a, a very brief decline at the very end of their lives, and then within a week or two they die. But um it's striking that they do not have that long, slow slope. And we all deserve that. We also all have the capacity to do that, right? This is the amazing thing about this amazing thing we call a body is that it's incredibly resilient. It wants to keep us healthy. And all we have to do is give it just a little bit, just help it out with the foods and the herbs and and the mindfulness practices to help us reverse some of the conditions that are affecting us in the Western world, in the richest countries of the world, and eventually get to a point where we can live like those people in the Blue Zones. Yeah, we do deserve it. You're right. We deserve it. And it's a gift of ourselves. It's not like someone comes along and gives it to us. We make the decision. We engage with people like you to make it practical in our lives. And then we make those choices every day. I'm so aware occasionally, you know, I'm, I'm kind of known as a very happy guy and a very positive thinker. And occasionally I find myself being pulled down as well. Like a friend of mine I was describing in an introduction. And then I just look at myself and I say, Dawson, this isn't you make the shift, and then you can. It's powerful to make that conscious choice. I'm going to go and be this person, be like that, make those choices, fill my mind with these things, practice these things in my body, and then really enjoy the fruits of all those those choices. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you you talk about your early life crises. And I when you had, had the list of all the illnesses you were diagnosed <laughs> with, it was a pretty impressive or depressing list. Yeah. Tell us about that, how you yeah went through that cycle. Yeah, you know, I grew up in Puerto Rico in what I believe now to be an idyllic childhood. I was in touch with Mother Earth. I was, I lived 15 minutes away from the rainforest and 20 minutes from the ocean. We were eating homemade and eating from the mango tree, the neighbor's mango tree and the cherry tree in the back. And I moved away from Puerto Rico as a young adult to go to school to study. And I moved to a big city like New York City and moved away from that lifestyle. And my body gave me what I like to call a smackdown. All of my conditions were non-considered life-threatening. They were also non-curable by Western medicine standards. So we're talking about ulcers, endometriosis. I had something called IBS or irritable bowel syndrome and Western medicine didn't have any solutions. So as a young 20-something, I remember thinking, this is not acceptable. I can't take just this as my life. So I decided to go back to my beginnings, right? And go back to eating foods that were live foods and nature and whole foods. But I also learned about Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine and Western herbalism. And I started to implement some of these practices, including mindfulness practices like meditation and yoga. And what I learned not only helped my body heal, but it became this big passion because I remember thinking, why isn't this information available? 
people, readily available to all people. And uh, so I made it my mission, I left my job and I went back to school and studied nutrition and became a coach and I started to educate people. And I've been doing that now for 10 years. You have one head, heading in the book, Decolonizing Yoga. And this whole idea of decolonizing and democratizing these practices is powerful. Share with us more about what you mean by that. Yeah, you know, this was a concept that was brought to me by one of the ladies that I interviewed for the book, A Yoga Instructor of Indian Descent. She was talking about, you know, the people that are considered multicultural by Western standards, mostly people of color, and those people are not participating in these amazing wellness practices. And part of the reason is because the practices have been sort of colonized, if you will. They've been taken from the far lands and brought into the modern era and then turned into something that could be consumed by Western consumers. And so the concept is if you are not welcomed in this space or you don't feel welcomed or you don't feel comfortable, then we need to start shifting our mentality to either bring the practices to us by way of honoring the original practices or perhaps making them our own, just like other people did several decades ago. We can also find a way to change our mentality and either open the spaces to those that own the spaces, tell them it's okay for us to open the spaces and allow different people to bring in and enjoy these practices. And if you can find the spaces to open, then create your own. One of the things we talked about, like we had one of our certified practitioners on a few weeks ago called Melissa Watson-Clark. She is a, a psychotherapist and pretty remarkable mind and heart. And she is so focused on bringing EFT tapping into the Black community. She says, we need this in the Black community. We have some initiatives going on now to, to do that. And so people like Melissa are very focused. She's she say, saying, they're, they're, look look how few Black people are tapping. Yeah. And these people who need tapping, let's do something to get EFT into that demographic and the whole BIPOC community. Why is there so little focus on that when it comes to alternative health? So we're those of us who are in this field are starting to be aware of this and, and pay attention to this, but how do we do it? What suggestions mm -hmm. do you have? You know, it's a beautiful thing that you asked that question to begin with, because I think it's critical that we as the owners, and I am a person of color, but because I work in the wellness world, I also consider myself part of those people that need to change, that need to be part of the solution. And I think asking questions is the first step. But then once you have started opening the doors of communication, you can do a lot more. I was just talking to a CEO for a supplement uh, line. These people are making high nine figures a year selling products. And I said, okay, so how can we make these products accessible to communities that might be considered disenfranchised? Perhaps can you offer a discount code to people so that you, they can access these foods? Or perhaps you can partner with initiatives like mine where you may provide the source materials and I go into the communities and actually educate people on how to use these plants or these substances for their benefits. The lady that you mentioned, which I have to look her up, <laughs> that's working on tapping for the Black community. Can we support her? How can we perhaps partner with her so that she can then go and take her talents to the communities and bring this, this material and this knowledge forth to many people? And this is actually for not just for the benefit of those communities, but for the benefit of a whole. We are part of a whole. We're not living in a silo. So even if you believe that your life is idyllic and you don't see the pain of somebody else, you're still part of this amazing community we call 
humanity <laughs> and it is to our advantage to help each other out. Absolutely. And to really see where our work is not reaching and then not just hope it reaches there, but do things to to really catalyze it, it reaching there. And so I, this is just a passion of mine. And there's Melissa and several other of our other community members who are really focused on, on doing this now. And so just the, the mechanics of how you do it is, is so necessary, so powerful. And then the what I'm struck by, too, is when you say children and children who are in school and who are maybe marginalized, maybe being bullied, maybe having anxiety, performance anxiety issues, uh, social anxiety, various other kinds of anxiety. If you get the stress reduction techniques to them early enough, and there are schools, like for example, in Lima, Peru, there are many, many schools where the kids are tapping to release their anxiety early in life. Santa Barbara, California, there are a lot of kids tapping. There are several tapping projects in Central America. And so we get these tools to these people early in life, then their whole trajectory of life is going to be different. They'll not release their stress. They won't be suffering under those, those, those deficits of those stressors of anxiety and worry about spinning in socially, about their tests, about their bodies, about puberty, about all the things that happen during growing up period if we get these tools to them early. So yeah, I've been really supporting these early school interventions, especially because that's where we make a difference downstream, way downstream people's their lives are different if we can get them these tools early in life. That is such a beautiful thing. And even if we're talking about adults, I think there were studies done in, in Northern California with inmates, with young inmates. They're adults at this level, but people that have had really traumatic childhoods are now, you know, paying their debt to society and they embrace meditation and, and self-hypnosis. And when they finally left jail, they introduce themselves into society and never went back. So these tools are incredibly simple, but so, so powerful. Absolutely. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. As you can see, I am just having a wonderful day today, and I hope you are too. And I hope that Jovanka and I are helping you have a more wonderful day than you otherwise would have had. It's just great to immerse yourself in these ideas and tune into inspirational shows and music and people. My wife and I were looking at having a little social gathering recently, and we thought, you know, let's just invite the highest vibration people we can think of. And so we just looked at the possibilities of our friends and thought, these people are going to be fun. These people are going to be fun. And so we're literally making our social environment reflect our personal environment. You meditate, you feel good inside, you tune into the all that is in meditation, and then you bring people and, and inputs into your life that reinforce that. And this show is one of my gifts to you every week and our guests gifts to you every week to help you immerse yourself in those positive messages. For more on Javanka's work, go to her website and you can find out more about her at her website. And that is javankacrs.com. I'll spell it for you to make sure you get it right. J-O-V-A-N-K-A-C-I-A-R-E-S.com for more on her book, Reclaiming Wellness, and also all her other services. So I mentioned in her introduction that she studied with T. Colin Campbell. And he, of course, was a big proponent of the plant-based diet. 
you really have some practical ideas about, about a plant-based diet and how you implement that in our lives. Go ahead and share those concepts with us now. Yeah, you know, I believe that proselytizing and trying to change people's diets <laughs> <laughs> never goes down, right? No. It's, it's almost like trying to change somebody's religion or political affiliation. It's just going to lead to a lot of pain and suffering. If instead we try different things, there's a handful of little tips in the book. One of the things that I like to use is a methodology, if you will, called the reduce and replace method. And it's a way for people to ease into a new habit without too much disruption to their regular routine. We know that as humans, we it takes us 21 to 28 days to build a new habit and don't like a lot of gaps. We don't like to leave a lot of empty spaces in our hearts and souls. So if instead, let's say that you're trying to eat a little bit less meat, and you, you, you know, you have meat three times a day. How about like today, you're going to have a little bit less meat today. And that gap, that hole that leaves, you're going to replace it with something really yummy that you already love. It could be potatoes. It could be a salad. It could be something that is in the plant world that is really, really exciting for you. And you're going to feel, see how you feel for a few days. And then the next day, or maybe two or three days later, you reduce a little bit more and then you replace that space with something else. And you do that every day for about 21 to 28 days. At the end of those 28 days, chances are you've built a new habit. You have tried foods that you've never tried before. You are much better off than you were 28 days ago. You also have very practical schedules for doing this. You have a schedule for if you want to do it just a tiny bit. You have a schedule for if you want to get deeper into it and a schedule for if you want to just dive into it completely so <laughs> I mean it's a lot one of the other things that I tell people is just start with what you already love right like don't try to do too much at first so if you are the kind that you're like I don't like any plants I don't like salads they're boring they don't taste well what else can I do how about if you love potatoes okay great let's start with potatoes let's start finding different recipes for potatoes or perhaps different kinds of potatoes like sweet potatoes or Japanese potatoes or other types that will slowly help you change your taste buds and with it your habits yeah, and then give people these uh, very, very simple ways of implementing this. And also you you tell us about how, how much protein you need and also high protein plants that can supply that amount of protein to us in a normal diet. What are those plants? And give us some of those numbers. The first thing that's important for people to know is that you will find protein or the equivalent of protein in the plant world almost everywhere almost everywhere in the plant world you find these types of proteins they might not be considered complete everywhere but in most cases if you have a varied diet and you eat the rainbow and you have a wide variety of whole foods you will not be protein deficient the average human today eats about three times the amount of protein that it needs to survive and i always wonder we're super concerned about protein, but we're not concerned about all the other nutrients that we actually need and may not be having. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about legumes are the perfect example. I love my lentils. I love my, my chickpeas. I love mung dal, which are tiny little beans that are easier to digest. Certainly the soy and soy type products are really high in protein. I love quinoa, which is a seed that stems from South America and is considered a complete protein. 
protein. So having a cup of quinoa will give you eight or nine grams of protein. Having a cup of legumes will give you 10 to 12 grams of protein. And if you need roughly 35 to 55 grams of protein a day, a woman roughly about 35 to 40, a man a little bit more, in a single meal, you're having already a third of the meal of the protein that you need. If you do that three times a day, you don't ever need to be concerned about your protein intake. Amazing. And then what you also say is start small, just with like three plant-based meals a week. And you pointed out that's 14% of your diet, but yeah. just starting that, that small can get you into it. Absolutely. So it's an easy way for you to start recognizing that it's not the end of the world if I you know, skip you know, some flesh uh, on a meal or two. And it's also incredibly beneficial to the environment. We know studies have been done that show that if humans collectively reduce their animal flesh consumption by just 10 to 15%, that's three meals out of the 21 meals we have every single week, our, you know, our carbon footprint significantly. You know, when we get back after the next break, I want to talk to you about what you think about all of these artificial meat substitute brands coming on the market now and whether you use them yourself, what you think of them and so on. One interesting option, we'll get into that after the break. Please stay tuned. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and you're listening today in various ways to accomplish various things, one of which is to fill your mind and your energy field and your reality field with positive messages. I'm so glad you're here, and I'm sharing today with author Jovanka Ciaris, and her website is, just the way you spell her name, J-O-V-A-N-K-A-C-I-A-R-E-S. Com. Go there for more on her work and her new book called Reclaiming Wellness. We talked in the last segment about the whole idea of a plant-based diet. And I'm just curious what your take is on all of the new companies springing up. Like China has invested literally billions, billions of dollars in these kinds of meat substitutes like Impossible Burgers and Beyond Burger, because they their motivation is they know that the methane gas their cows are emitting is a major cause of pollution in China. So they are now, well, they have been actually for the last 10 years investing heavily in these meat substitutes. What's your take on those? Uh, yeah, I agree with them, I guess, you know, like the reality of the matter is that if, if and when the rest of the world starts eating the same way that people in the United States in Canada eat, we won't have a large enough planet to feed all of these people, cow and fish and pork and other animals. I have a love-hate relationship with, with alternative meats, if you will. I think they're really amazing for two things. As transitional foods, as people are trying to move away from eating too much flesh and eating more plant foods, but still miss the taste and the flavor and the experience of eating meat. I think there is validity to that. I personally was one that it took me years to go fully plant-based. So it's, I know that it's hard. So I think from that point of view, they're actually beneficial. And also for those people that feel like, you know, I'm definitely going to be plant-based, but Lord, do I miss my meat. So, but I don't want to go back to that. So I'm just going to have this as a treat. I think those foods are essentially 
meant for that and only that. They are, at the end of the day, processed foods. And like processed foods, they should not be consumed on a daily basis. We should always strive to eating from the earth. Foods that are homemade, ideally some live foods, so foods that are still alive, full of enzymes, and then use everything else. It's almost like a condiment or as a treat. Right. Yeah, that's what we think of it. You, you have a, a term in your book called something like holiday eating or... <laughs> I used to call myself a muffin vegetarian. And I used to say, you know, I, once I, I went to a whole food plant-based diet, I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, celebrate my birthday or the 4th of July or Thanksgiving. But it's not the 4th of July every day. But <laughs> and it's not Thanksgiving every week. So let's just, uh, you know, celebrate when it's time to celebrate and celebrate our amazing bodies the rest of the year by eating the right foods. Yeah, very good way to think of it. And yeah, I see it the same way. I'll occasionally have ice cream or some kind of food I know isn't all that good for me or French fries or something. And yeah. but I can tell you after you haven't eaten French fries for a year, they taste really good for a little while. And then, you know, it's like you're, you're right. over it. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And after a while, you do really crave healthy food. When you, when I have like organic green beans or broccoli or foods, I mean, you really want them. Your body just longs for healthy food after you've made the switch. So your body will guide you. Initially, your body can't guide you because it's so seduced by all the sugar and fat and all the other unhealthy junk they put into processed foods. Once you've kind of weaned yourself of all the toxins in your system, you find your body actually does, at least my body really made to crave those healthy foods. Yes, absolutely. I mean, cravings are essentially just your brain telling your stomach, which are constantly in communication, I am in need of vitamin A or vitamin D or whatever it is that you need. So when you're feeling hunger pangs, that's your body telling you, I need nutrients. So if all you do is you put white bread or ice cream on your body, you will continuously have that conversation and eventually your brain will get a little haywire and that's when we get in trouble. Yes. There have also been studies of EFT, which you mentioned in the book, EFT tapping. So tapping on acupressure points for food cravings. And the research is really amazing because people lose a little, little bit of weight when they start to tap, their food cravings go down. But in the year after they learn EFT, their weight drops by, in different studies, it's different amounts, but six pounds, 10 pounds, 20 pounds, more than 20 pounds in at least one study. So when you look at your food cravings, you start to crave healthy food, and then you, you find your body just naturally adjusting and shifting. Absolutely. Yeah. And you also mentioned uh, techniques like hypnosis, self-hypnosis as a valuable technique for shifting your old habits. Tell us more about that too. Yeah. So when I was researching for the book, I discovered that hypnosis was one of those practices that have been around for thousands of years. The people in Northern Africa, what we know today as the ancient Egyptians, were the ones that truly made it what we believe it is today. But even people in Northern Europe, in like the Druids of the British Isles, also practice something similar to that simultaneously. And unfortunately, with the advent of organized religions in Europe, we moved away from those practices. But now modern science can understand, can believe just like EFT and tapping, we know that these practices are incredibly beneficial. I personally practice hypnosis to help me with a debilitating fear of flying and to help me heal from major abdominal surgery. And I became a convert. I could not believe believe how powerful these very simple techniques are. So in the book, I mentioned both tapping and hypnosis, a few exercises for people to try. You know, we're going to a break now in a moment, but let me just tell you one funny story about tapping and food cravings. I, another food I eat occasionally is 
pizza. And I know my buddy doesn't handle wheat well. I hardly ever have it, but maybe once once a year, once every six months, I'll have, a, have some pizza. And what I do is I tap, when I tap Javanka, I say to myself, my body mistakes this junk for food. My body processes it's just junk, just like it was food. I now deceive my body into believing that this junk over here I'm about to eat is food. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that. <laughs> oh my God, because I'm especially in mean, sugar, especially is really uh, my thing. So I definitely need that. <laughs> yeah, fooling yourself, combination of, of self hypnosis and, and tapping. Okay. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. You're listening to High Energy Health, and I'd love to have you back. So come back for our last segment in just a few moments. And welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church. As you can tell, I'm having the time of my life. I'm getting to share with you. And we need to celebrate things like eating healthy, loving our bodies, connecting with other people, being inclusive, recognizing diversity, and making sure that everybody has access to these tools. Can you think of anything you'd rather be doing right now? I cannot think of a single thing I would rather be doing right now than interviewing Javanka Sierras. It's been wonderful to connect with her and to know more about her work, go to her website. And it's just the way her name is spelled, J-O-B-A-N-K-A, Javanka Sierras, C-I-A-R-E-S. Her book is called Reclaiming Wellness. Javanka, at the end of the book, you talk about this wonderful concept that I so enjoyed of Ubuntu. And when I was a, a child, my parents were missionaries and they traveled all over Southern Africa. So all these Southern African countries. And I, I heard that word a lot there and a real sense of, of what it, the feeling of it as well. I, I so love you bringing that into the conversation at the end of your book. Go ahead and tell us about Ubuntu, what it means, what it means to you and how you think of it as helping us embrace our full humanity. Yeah, absolutely. So Ubuntu is an African philosophy that literally translates to I am because we are. And even though it's practiced all across Africa, it was popularized at the end of the apartheid movement in South Africa. When Nelson Mandela came into power, he was trying to find a way to reconcile the white population with the black population. And, and the idea behind it was like, you can't move forward as a country with all this pain and all this hurt and all this anger that they were having towards one another. So they created these practices around the concept of Ubuntu to help people reconcile. And you can use them in the Western world as a way to reconcile with your own community around you. Because the concept, one of the concepts of wellness is music and community. I group them together, but with the understanding that community is critical to our own sense of health and wellness. We cannot be well if our community is in danger or is, is not well. So how can we find a way to reconcile, to heal, to accept that we are part of the whole, that the person, especially the person that we might disagree with the most, is part of us just like we are part of them. So the concept of Ubuntu, there's nine uh, basic premises, and they are, I want to read them to you very quickly, they're kindness compassion, generosity, vulnerability, empathy, friendliness, hospitality, and gentle, 
gentleness. Sorry, there's eight principles. And so in the book, I talk about how you can bring each and every one of those into your own reality, and then hopefully extrapolate that to the rest of your community. Yeah. And of course, if you are extrapolating that to your community, if you're being that, you're going to attract people like that to you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a beautiful way to heal at an emotional level and hopefully bring that beautiful new energy to your community and help them heal as well. Yes. Yeah. Well, you certainly bring that energy with you and in your body language and your smile and your tone of voice and so many ways you're really bringing that light to people. I, I so yeah. appreciate that. I'm just curious in the last few moments we have together, what your routine looks like every day, how you implement this in your uh, day, starting with when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. So it varies depending on the time of the year, but like at this time it's spring into summer. I wake up a little bit early. I normally wake, wake up with the sun and I do a little meditation. It's, it's often uh, moving or guided because my brain is <laughs> just easier for my brain that way. I immediately start taking some tea. I rarely take water that is not infused with amazing plants. These days I'm having ginger uh, infused with some fruit because it's warm and it's wonderful. And then I do movement. I often do yoga a couple of times a week and then I do a harder workout another few times a week. And then I start my day. So by the time all that is said and done, it's probably around 8, 30, 9 o'clock and that I start working. I eat a plant-based diet. So all my meals are fully plant-based. And then at the end of the day, I do a sauna because I love heat and I love oil. So I embrace saunas and, and steam rooms. So I have a mini sauna at home. I like that to help me release stress. Uh, I listen to a podcast or read a book while I'm doing that. And then I have a meal and sit with my beautiful partner and either watch a movie or play with the cat or <laughs> and end up my day on the good note. Yeah, having that transition, I think, to a different space at the end of the day yeah. is really important. And like my wife likes to, what she calls, connect. And she wants to connect at the beginning of each day and again at the end of each day. And that's like a really an, an end to the work day, an end to the involvement with the world. And then you're coming to yourself, you're coming to spirit, you're coming to the people that are in your family. And it's powerful to make that shift for your evening into that, that other space, very different space from your public space. Absolutely. I, I agree. I mean, I, if you, but even if you don't have, the space, right? If you're talking about somebody who has a really small home and they're working from home, you can still get out, right? Like get out and take a walk around near the nature. Even if you live in a city, chances are you'll be able to walk to a park. So as a way to move your body, you can get to a place where you can get some fresh air and or connect with neighbors or with people around you and then get back home and stay on a good note. Yeah, it's amazing. Wherever I travel in the world, I'm so struck by the fact that there are parks, many parks in every city. I'll just, wherever I am in a totally strange city, I'll use my phone, I'll look at a map and it's like, wow, there's a park two blocks away. <laughs> so nature is always there. Another cool study showed that people who just go to a park have the same epigenetic changes as people who go like deep into nature. So absolutely. Yeah. So you don't need to have a big house with, you know, two minutes away from the forest. And we are connected to Mother Nature. So that concept of grounding, which I also mentioned in the book, is critical. Even if you live in a big city and you don't have big bodies of water or forest, you can do some home gardening. You can go to a local park and you can connect with nature that way. 
Well, Javon, you and your book are so full of ideas about how to implement this in our lives. I'm, I'm grateful for the work you're doing and for how clearly you explain it in the book. So thank you so much for being here on High Energy Health. And to everyone listening, till the next time, immerse yourself in your own well-being. Be healthy, be happy, thrive. I'll see you on the next episode. Mm -hmm.